Welcome to episode 7 of my campaign diaries. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, today we're going to be talking about episode 3, part 1, Cadence of the Road. Um, I I really shouldn't have favorite episodes, but I will say this one is very special because um, our friend Steve got to guest star in it. And um, Steve is somebody who is behind the scenes involved with the Guardians of Fahal and the Westerverse in general. And he's a very good guy. And I, Josh and I and everyone like love him dearly. He's, he's one of our favorite people. So it was really cool. And every time I listen to this episode again, I just smile because it was such a joy to have him at the table. Um, but that's enough nostalgia for now about Steve. I don't want to give him too big of a head. So <laughs> let's, let's get on with the episode. Okay, so before the guest appearance, um, I think that what's important for behind the scenes content is for me to kind of let you know what's actually happening. So there's a lot of stuff in the game that is sporadic, but then there's also stuff that we talk about outside of the game. And one of the things that I realized um, was I'd always planned to get them to go out of town around this point. I think in one of the earlier campaign diaries, I said that I thought basically episode one through um, probably episode five of the podcast, I thought that they would have only taken like two sessions to do that. So um, obviously things take longer. And by this point um, of the game, um, Sam was going to be gone for a session, but everyone was kind of a little bit like unsure of what to do. And I was like, okay, so at this point they haven't had an official job with Megan on it. And I know Sam would be okay if I put her in the Pokeball to get her out of town and a day trip would basically be the easiest answer. And then they spend the night somewhere. Um, and the reason I wanted to do that was because, uh, a couple of reasons. One, they needed to kind of experience a little bit more of a bigger, like the world at large, because Fayin is just such a big city that it's a little overwhelming. So I wanted them to kind of experience more of like a rural country setting to understand, like, this is what the wind plains is like. And this is kind of what it's like for the day to day person. Um, but also, I didn't want them pulling on the fed the the thread of the venerable too hard, um, and maybe that is uh, railroading. <laughs> but I I wanted time to pass because there are a lot of things that happen in the world and are going to happen where like the players might be able to pursue some of it right away, but other stuff is kind of building to other things and maybe that's kind of a dick move to do as a dm is to kind of have those areas in a game where it's like players cannot enter area yet until you get special item like i remember in legend of zelda like i'd see all these like random areas you couldn't go to until you had like these special boots or you had the armor that like was made of diamonds or whatever <laughs> like um and that can be frustrating but also i feel like it's kind of important to do in a DD game because it sets it up for like you know later like maybe this will come back later maybe it won't you don't know so anyway 
with Sam being gone and um, I needed them to do a mission that was getting them out of town. And um, Steve was interested in being a guest star. So we met Steve a few years ago um, through, well, our, our mutual friend, uh, Dan, who is somebody I ask constantly about stuff from my game. Um, he's been a DM for quite a while and we were in a mutual game where he was running it and Steve joined in that campaign because we had lost a couple players from moving and job shifts and stuff like that. So he joined, uh, all of us loved playing with him and we just clicked really well. Um, and I had kind of already had a setup in my head of like how many people I could have at this table. So I was like, I really would have loved to have Steve. I would have had a love to have a lot of my friends, but I just don't have room for so many. So unfortunately, um, I didn't have room for Steve to be a player at my table. Um, but I was like, Hey, do you want to be a guest star? And he was like, sure. Um, and guest stars in D and D can be tricky because you want them to be like a fun kind of like potentially reoccurring character, maybe, or a one-off character. It really depends on the situation they're in, but getting them to integrate in well with what you're doing with the plot can be very hard. And I feel like if you're going to have like a guest player, they should contribute something to the plot. So normally like with character creation, I tend to try to work with what people give me, but like if they have such an out there idea that getting it to fit into the world would be very disruptive or it would just take too much time to explain, I'm kind of like, no, you can't do that. I'm sorry. So with Steve, I knew his character was going to be a merchant and that he would just need to be transported from one location to another so he could sell some goods um, in the new location. It was pretty straightforward. Um, and then I wanted him to get the hell out of Dodge and like, you know, go on up north and not have gear with him to carry. So he didn't need the protection racket because I didn't want necessarily the players to go all the way up north for whatever, <laughs> for no reason. Um, and so Steve had an original idea. He wanted to be a Kenku, which is really funny. Um, I love Kenku. Um, I find their lore in D&D a little bit interesting, and I kind of tweaked it a bit for my game. But basically, when he said he wanted to be a Kenku, I was very excited because of... Um, I will shorten it for this, but I might put a little spoiler warning. Um, so for spoiler reasons why Kenku exist in my game later. Um, but, uh, yeah. So that was basically why I was excited because I was like, oh my God, Kenku are going to make an appearance later. So this is kind of great that there's a Kenku now in this little episode. Um, so, should I talk about spoilers? I'll talk about spoilers. Okay. So if you're not caught up on um, Guardians of Fahal through episode through episode nine, ten, and eleven. Like if you're if you haven't listened up until like episode nine or ten, stop listening. This is going to be spoilers. Okay. All right. I will put descriptions in where you can start listening again in this episode. Okay. Okay. 
Are they gone? All right, it's just us who are caught up. Okay, so obviously you know later that like um, Hans and Franz, one of their totems is uh, the Nightingale, and the Nightingale has adopted these Kenku refugees, um, and they're living in this little safe uh, mountainy village area where they basically have voices because of her abilities and her divine powers. So... I was so excited when Steve told me he wanted to be a Kenku that couldn't talk because I wanted to keep that lore. Um, I kind of hate the uh, lore that like, you know, they were Trixie and they got punished for being Trixie and now their race is kind of still Trixie. I really hate the tendency in D&D for races to be coded as evil. Um, I just find that really like annoying. So I'm like, okay, well... The Kenku are not just automatically tricksy and like good thieves and stealthy and whatever. I find that annoying. But anyway, so the Nightingale kind of took in these like refugees um, that are from a different continent that uh, they were fleeing from. And basically a div- like a powerful curse was put on them um, and they lost their ability to speak. And the Nightingale can't fully return it and like do it for all kinku but within her little sphere of influence she can she can you know give them the ability to speak and um tell stories and stuff like that so i was so excited when steve was going to be a kinku okay So now is when you can return. Welcome back, people who are not caught up. Um, glad I didn't spoil it for you. Unless you listened, then shame on you. Spoilers. Um, anyway, so this campaign diary feels more rambly than normal. Um, so yeah, uh, it's the other reason that Steve playing a Kenku was amazing was because I knew he was going to just mimic everyone. And uh, Steve is naturally a very funny person. (laughs) So I just knew that he was going to add this level of silliness to the session. And I was not disappointed. Um, I think the first moment I broke is when he mimicked uh, something Josh had said or Andrew. I can't remember which one of them said it in character as Hans and Franz. And he did the Arnold Schwarzenegger accent. It was, I just died. I, I couldn't, I couldn't process it it was so funny (laughs) um but it was good and and beyond that it kind of added an interesting dynamic to the story of like you know how do you talk to somebody who you know can't really speak in a in what is considered a um easy fashion and i feel like one thing that i probably could do better as a dm is figuring out how to incorporate uh people who have mm, I'm going to, sorry if this is the wrong word to use. I probably, I should educate myself more on this, but people who have like uh, trouble with speech, like either they are um, mute or they have trouble hearing or anything like that, um, you know, it's just finding ways to incorporate that in D&D, I think is important where it's not like necessarily, oh, it's magically solved. Um, because I kind of feel like that's a little bit of like an ableist thing where it's like, oh, here, we're just, your problems are fixed with magic. And I'm like, I don't really know if that's 
a great response to things like that. So I kind of thought it was interesting to see them them troubleshoot learning how to communicate outside of uh, what is considered a conventional method of communicating. You know, like they had to, like Uno was basically trying to figure out, okay, what's the best way to get, um, figure out what he's saying. And what, and it was just really funny. Like <laughs> it was, it wasn't always the smartest answers, but you know, it was, it was definitely funny for me. Um, just go through the list of questions and hours and you'll eventually, um, get an answer and it was it was funny and then um one thing that was about uh song is uh song was a sad kenku and obviously like i don't necessarily want everything in my world to be a one-to-one ratio and just a flat oh if you're different you know racism and it's bad and because I I tend to like to look at things like sexism and racism and um how those things exist in a society in a structural way like it's not a lot of times I feel like it's portrayed as it's just one bad person that's a racist and as long as we're not like them you know we're not racist or problem and I feel like um, if we, that's not very helpful and that's also not necessarily how societies work. So for the empire, they definitely like uniformity and they don't like deviancy in a way. And Kenku are very much considered like a deviancy from that or like an other. So you're going to get mistreated because a lot of times when you're from a small town or you've, and you've got anyone who's different, like the instinct is to be afraid of it. And then usually that results in bullying or in cruelty. And that's what happened with Song. So Song was eventually adopted by the Fae, which is why he's a glamour bard. And they taught him songs. But a lot of this was Steve's idea. And Steve really wanted to play this like kind of very sad songbird um because steve likes really sad characters and i love him for it i i need my sad characters i eat that shit up (laughs) um but yeah so him with the song he he picked um the actual song itself is called heartbreaking by kevin mcleod who does a lot of um royalty free music which is what we try to do for the podcast so we're not running into copyright issues and i want to give him full credit because he does really good work and he's got some good songs and uh steve picked that song out as what songs was songs song was um but basically, I loved the fact that he got to perform it and kind of share a little bit of uh, like a glimpse of his story and what it's like for somebody in the world who is so other to make it and kind of showcasing the resilience and the strength of how somebody in that situation who could be completely beaten down, you know, still manages to make it and and try to live like there's still some scars and damage from it. But, you know, he's still trying to find his way in the world and not let, you know, those people that made his life miserable win. And one of the ways he does that is through traveling and magic and um, having beautiful music. And I just find that really, I don't know, I really like that for characters. And I find that quite moving. Um, But what can I say? I'm a romantic. Um, Getting off of sad topics for a minute, one one funny thing um, when I was re-listening to this episode, 
So there's a little bit of a side scene where Andrew's character goes to get ingredients from the goblin potion maker. And he is a little bit weird and <laughs> like just a little bit eccentric. And also I mentioned like the fact that he said a little bit of a weird thing with like, oh, you know, you guys with your your eyes being different colors and twins, like be a cool set. Like, <laughs> so if you if you look into like uh, historic things that people thought were magical or would put significance in like superstition, like things that are unique like that like having twins and then they're both heterochromia where one eye is one color and one eye is the other color but then they're mis like they're opposite like that would be like an incredible potion ingredient in my mind because like it's so it's so rare like it could be used in something like i don't know like maybe a luck potion because it's just like a one in a million thing but anyway so in D&D, I think material components sometimes can be used really interestingly. And normally I will say when I'm a player character and as a DM, I don't always care if like party members like have all the components unless they are like diamonds worth like hundreds of gold pieces. But like, I think that's an interesting aspect where it's like, you're going to get a really unique potion or a unique magic item if you use a weird ingredient like that. But then it also kind of is like, it creates like a weird sense of danger. Like maybe there's going to be some potion person who wants to harvest the twins eyes or like Rowan's bark or something. I don't know. It's a little bit creepy and unsettling, but I also find it kind of amusing. I don't know. I'm weird. <laughs> um, Overall, um, I guess as a final thought for kind of like leading to the end of this campaign diary. So I knew that by putting Willow on the road, the the bandit girl in disguise, like she's their, she's their front, um, that there was a chance that they were going to figure it out right away. But they fell for it, except for Una. Like they got so far into that ambush. And um, I remember, like, thinking about, like, this is a professional thing. Like, they have a really high stealth thing. You know, they've got it. Like, Willow kind of acts as a uh, distraction. Like, if Una hadn't have sat with her, like, she was going to break the cart. Like, she was going to actually break the cart so it couldn't move. And then, like, you know, that's basically her thing is to make it so they can't trespass further. Um, but also warn them, like, if it's a not a safe sort of bid to do. And, uh, yeah, Una pegged her. And everyone was like, what? Why are you so violent? But really, like, she, I mean, she probably was a little violent, but, like, she was right. Like, girl suspicious as hell. I don't know. I just thought that was funny. But, like, I made it so far with them. And I almost had them completely, if, if, if they hadn't had made Willow and they hadn't had, and Josh hadn't rolled so high in his perception checks, they probably would have, there would have been a full surprise round from the bandits. Like, so I think, um, Megan being a little bit aggressive and rolling lucky to figure out that like those rabbits were old and then just naturally like catching her in the lie. I thought that was good. That was a good role playing moment. I was proud of her. Um, 
But yeah, with that, the episode ends and we have to continue uh, next time for part two, Cadence of the Road, where they have the bandit fight and then we talk about like them arriving in Meyerfield and hearing about ghosts. Ooh, spooky. Um, so... Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you have any questions or you wanted to know more about some of the behind the scenes stuff for these episodes, like please leave us a comment either directly in Patreon or also you can reach out via any of our social media accounts. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, you could also find us on our website, thewesterverse.com and uh, reach out via our contact forum. Um, we're also on Patreon, and I say that knowing that I publish these on Patreon, but we also publish these on uh, Anchor. So consider supporting us, and honestly, even if like you don't really want to listen to every second of the episodes, a dollar a month really goes a long way to help us grow as a channel since we're a small content creator, and it, we would love to be able to do more stuff. So yeah... We'd love it if you sended some love to us uh, by supporting us on Patreon. We have another podcast, which is Talk Dungeon to Me, where we talk more about actually how to play the game and advice for DMs and players. So, yeah. Um, anyway, that's it for this episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.